Technology is important. It becomes too important uh, when it's used as a pretext to play with things instead of staying focused on, on, on the main thing, which is the circulation of intellectual capital and the connection of individuals. You need to encourage people to share knowledge, right, and reuse knowledge. But you and I and everybody has been taught at school, do not copy. Copy is bad, right? Okay, but now we said, no, copy, copy is good. Hi, I'm Paul Miller, and this is Digital Workplace Impact, where we investigate and explore the ideas, practices, and people impacting the new digital worlds where we work. Digital Workplace Impact is produced by the Digital Workplace Group, a strategic partner covering all aspects of the evolving digital workplace industry through membership, benchmarking, and boutique consulting services. And if you'd like more information about DWG, go to digitalworkplacegroup.com. So the subject of the episode today is Can Knowledge Management Save the World? And do you wake up in the morning wondering whatever happened to the subject of knowledge management? I'm sure you don't. But seriously, this is a topic that has trundled along for decades now without ever really making its mark. Knowledge management has been kind of embroiled in conceptual conversations and people have wondered at the practical implications. But that is all changing now. I think it's partly down to technology it's become a lot more viable and capable. And it really now means that knowledge management can actually enable knowledge to be shared in some critical challenges, not only in the organizations in which we work, but in the world around us. So this episode is a fantastic episode. And I was really delighted to get on two guests uh, Jean-Claude Monet, he is the Chief Knowledge Officer at Microsoft Services, which is the largest division of Microsoft, and it's got 22,000 people. His role is, design, is to design programs that are made up of culture, processes, and systems to allow people to willingly and openly share their knowledge across Microsoft. Jean-Claude is one of the world's leading experts in applying KM, to drive innovation, productivity, and competitiveness. And he is also a faculty member at Columbia University, uh, where he teaches knowledge management in the digital workplace as part of their Masters of Science in Information and Knowledge Strategy program. And Microsoft is only one of two companies in the world to have received every year for the last 19 years the Global Make Award, Most Admired Knowledge Enterprise. Quite an achievement. Giovanni Piazza is my other guest. He is the Head of Global Information at Knowledge and Knowledge at KPMG. Giovanni has three decades of experience in the fields of information technology, information management and knowledge management. And he has worked in some key roles 
for some of the best-known global companies such as Johnson & Johnson, the largest consultancies, including Anderson Consulting, Ernst & Young, and is now at KPMG. He is an acknowledged innovator and protagonist of the discipline and has really made a, a huge impact during his career on collaboration and knowledge management. What struck me from the conversation with Giovanni and Jean-Claude was that knowledge management work is powerful stuff, but it does require some heavy brain power to produce results. And it appeals to people with some real gravitas. And I think you'll agree that Giovanni and Jean-Claude are just that. So our topic today is how knowledge management can save the world. And, and Giovanni, can I start by uh, asking you, uh, and, you know, it seems to me for as long as I've been working that we've been debating what the term knowledge management means. So for, for listeners, how, how do you currently define knowledge management today? Oh, I define it simply. I don't, I don't believe in complicated definitions. Knowledge management is helping people find things and helping people find each other. That's what it is. It's the ability of the discipline to put people in contact with the content that they need and uh, facilitate the connection among people who don't know each other. If we as practitioners of knowledge management can do these two things, we have done knowledge management. And, and why do you think, because that's a great simple definition, what, why do you think there's been this sort of persistent debate about the term? Well, it, oftentimes because uh, the words uh, sound good, uh, knowledge management fills your mouth, but then you look behind it and say, well, okay, now what do I do? And so there's a lot of confusion on, on what it means. Uh, like all fashionable terms, it's used as a pretext to, to do something that is not necessarily at the, at the core of the discipline. Uh, knowledge management has been the, the cloak under which people try to introduce in the company and in the enterprise landscape a lot of other things, which contributed to uh, the loss of shine, if you will, of the term a few years ago when it was uh, a catch-all definition to introduce in the company a lot of other things. And so the debate got muddied, uh, and the, the, the definition lost clarity, and uh, there were a lot of people in groups moving in different directions and working cross-purposes. And so that, that, that's why the, conclu the, the confusion uh, arose and and the term lost a little bit its sharpness and its precision. Mm. Now I think that we're back to simple things and clear definitions. That's 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 great. And um, uh, I mean, Jean Claude, I, I don't want to debate the the definitions too long, but I but I do want to find out whether uh, you have a similar or different definition of of the term. Yeah, I, I like to be pragmatic, and I agree that uh, the, the issue we are facing is uh, is basically that uh, CAM is not um, recognized as a managerial function like marketing, finance, and HR, um, and uh, it's a capability. And uh, so I think uh, the simpler we get on the definition, I think it's more important to talk about what it does and how it's getting uh, the, the things get are getting done. 
than uh, debating about a can, an academic definition. Uh, we, we basically, I mean, looking at um, knowledge management for us uh, to, to go probably a step further to what Giovanni said and agree with uh, connecting people with people. But from an enterprise standpoint, is about programmatically embedding the enterprise knowledge into every deliverable. And the reason we want to do that is because we believe it's the ultimate way to create value from ourselves, meaning our people, our company, and our customers. And I mean the people is important also. So um, we are in a world of continuous learning. I mean, if you think about the jobs that we have today and the many jobs that we will have coming up to us if we are not able to continuously learn from each other ourselves being willing to learn, uh, it's not going to be effective. So knowledge management will become more and more crucial uh, for companies and people to understand. And what do you think the key ways are that, that knowledge management can add value to a, a major organization, whether it's Microsoft in your case, KPMG in, in Giovanni's case, and, and any examples that you, you have can always uh, help. We actually have a very uh, focused goal on where we want to uh, get results in knowledge management. And probably I can summarize this in three things if I just think of uh, any company or any government or organization. Number one is productivity. And productivity is achieved through operation excellence. If you think of when you reuse a practice that uh, has been uh, proven, uh, you are predictable in the output quality, in the time, therefore the cost. If you're talking customer, in the customer loves things that are predictable, so it's customer satisfaction. Uh, that's how you can improve your margin uh, and so on. So productivity is, is clearly a key uh, achievement uh, and outcome of applying knowledge management. The second one is innovation. Um, it's interesting that uh, we, we're still fighting the breaking down of the silos to share knowledge across enterprises or companies. And innovation is about reusing ideas or methods from others. It's not innovation that is creating creation of new ideas. So more you can find ways to harness all the great ideas a company has, more innovation you can bring. And the third one is we live in a world of complex problem. Um, uh, I'll take an example outside of the enterprise, which is uh, like uh, Ebola. If you look at how Ebola was treated, I wish I, I could have done something at the time to say, but there are all these, you know, pocket of knowledge around the world from people who don't even speak the same language. And how can we harness all this, put this into a common knowledge base, apply machine learning, detect pattern, tr use automated translation services to bring back the knowledge where the people need it. So that's why I got personally involved into a project for Zika, because uh, we need uh, to, to provide uh, knowledge management practices into area like solving complex problems like that. And there's no single person today that has all the knowledge that is required to solve problems. So whether it is in the enterprise or whether it is in, in the world in general. So to go back to your, the title of this podcast, the IKM can save the world. 
Right. So you 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 like the the idea that KM can save the world, and I think I I think I sort of got the title because I was reading about your experience with 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 Zika, and just just tell me, so. Um, how did that how did that involvement come about and and what shape did your knowledge management input have there was it was it that you you saw what was happening with Ebola and then thought this is this is a kind of uh, disaster we could do so much more well it's actually a, a confluence of things i was thinking about what would be can i design a system that could help so I started to draw some kind of uh, architectural concept and principle on a piece of paper. And I uh, got involved with uh, Columbia University uh, to give a lecture last year. And through Columbia University, uh, they, I was talking about this and they said, oh, but we know somebody, the Geneva Learning Foundation, that basically is working on the problem. So I've been introduced with those people and I started to realize that they were actually tackling the problem and started to basically uh, work with them. So it's just, you know, uh, what Giovanni said, knowledge management is connecting people with people. And that's that's how things are going. So innovation comes from, you know, I'm being able to share some of my knowledge to, to these people and some ideas about how they can reuse something that exists. And uh you know, it's interesting that just the problem of language translation, um, uh, very few people know that those, this is now reality today. Uh, you can use, uh, you know, Microsoft's called Microsoft Translator, but Google has the same similar things that translate in real time things. In fact, uh, Skype has seven languages with video that you can translate to. So you could have a Chinese person talking to a German person in their own language and exchange experiences today. It's not tomorrow. So I think uh, it's just about uh, sharing what are the capabilities that exist today. There's a, there's a deficit of knowledge of what exists today and also probably a sort of a old impression that things don't work, it's like speech recognition, right? So Stanford just published a study that uh, you do 30% less mistake dictating to your text than typing your text. So why don't mm. you just dictate your text from now on, right? Well, because when you tried two years ago, it didn't work that well. But today, it's just like great stuff. And I think we we need to... The digital transformation that we're living right now is is uh, exploding so fast and in so many different areas, it's difficult for people to understand all what is available. Yeah, and this is uh, really interesting, isn't it, Giovanni? I mean, um, I mean, I somehow I ended up writing a book in 1997 called "Mobilizing the Power of What You Know." And one of the things that people were saying about knowledge management is it's not about the technology, but but technology does play a hugely important part. And and do you feel we sort of mis misunderstand the role that it can perform? And and you know how do you see that? Technology is important. Uh, it becomes too important. Uh, when it's used as a pretext uh, to to play with things instead of staying focused uh, on uh, on on the main thing, which is uh, as uh, as you heard from both me and Jean Claude, 
the circulation of intellectual capital and the connection of individuals. That's one of the mistakes uh, that uh, uh, many of us, uh, uh, knowledge management practitioners, have done in the past. Uh, consider technology being preeminent uh, in, the, uh, in the knowledge enablement of an organization. It is not. Uh, there are four components, and they, they are all in play. People, content, process, and technology. And what I like to say is that we ought to spend $3 in people, process, and content for every dollar we spend in technology. Agreed. Because, you know, Jean-Claude made my day. Actually, I owe him a big thank you because he put innovation and reuse in the same sentence three times in his previous contribution to this podcast. And he could not be more correct. Mm. Innovation is oftentimes the ability to reuse something that has already been created. Innovation is at times a matter of scale. And that is where technology can help. But technology alone applied to the wrong content or to no content in the context of bad processes or away from people is when, uh, is when uh, things go pear-shaped. Uh, we tinkered for years and years and years with search engines, uh, focusing on the technology aspect of the search. And the breakthrough in the enterprise search engine was when we changed the paradigm. Instead of looking at patterns and similarities and words, etc., we started looking at uh, concepts. And that has nothing to do with technology. It has a technology enablement at the end of the, of the thought process, but at the very end of the thought process. So technology should be considered a part uh, of, a, of a more complex design, of a more complex uh, canvas, uh, where uh, the, the people, process, and content threads uh, must be present and in, in brilliant colors too. So, and, and if you're um, trying to explain um, a situation where these four concepts all work together, could you give me an example of, of what that looks like and what results it, it can produce? Yeah. Uh, let, let me take an example of a, of a project that, uh, that, that, that I've led uh, three or four times in different organizations. Uh, the, the project aimed at connecting people with people. Um, in, every time I was involved in this kind of uh, uh, in this kind of initiatives, I found myself debating vigorously, often, with uh, people who were arguing in favor of a piece of technology that would remove from the, from the landscape of the project the need to collect painstakingly uh, data elements and information about people the things that define people from a knowledge point of view, the name, the specialism, uh, your experience. Uh, I've always worked uh, in professional services, so the industries you specialized uh, in, uh, the, the, the clients you served, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, every time uh, the effort focused on removing the need for the painstaking uh, job of collecting uh, information and data elements from the various systems that already uh, were present in the organization, uh, the project didn't go very well. When we instead focused on uh, the process to acquire, well, we focused on the content. And so we designed a powerful data model first. What is the set of attributes that defines a professional uh, for, the, for the purpose of identifying expertise? and connecting experts with the uh, experts who know with people who need to learn, for instance. 
So we focused on the, on the most powerful data model. We focused on the process to acquire and put together all these elements, uh, tapping into the, the systems that already contain this information. And so uh, content process, we validated the validity of this uh, data model with people, and we made sure that people could easily be connected with other people. And then at the very end of the value chain, we enabled with a simple, simple, simple technology that was quite predictive. And, uh, and we, we, achieved, we achieved very, very good results. And I should not be taking credit for the uh, ultimate outcome uh, for the project because it was a convergence of many competencies and specialisms. But, but that's, that, that's an example of when, you know, the four components of uh, true knowledge enablement came together. Mm. Yeah, and I had, um, just reminding myself, um, I, I, I had a project or, or was involved as, on a consulting level in a project at, um, well, at that time it was Smith Klein Beecham. And what it was was taking all the ways that people uh, marketed one of their pain relievers around the world. And this is sort of the days of CD-ROMs and pre-internet. And what we did was assemble from all the different countries into a catalogue all the examples and exhibits and references to what people had done with this in window displays and marketing and leaflets. And I remember being in a meeting in Paris and there was all the people around the company there and somebody stood on a chair in the middle of the room with this with this catalogue and went, this is it. We always knew we knew this, but it, now we actually can get hold of it. And it's it's it, I, I think, you know, in both of your examples, it's kind of when it works, the, the power's so kind of apparent and um, um Jean-Claude, you've said that um, we, we kind of, in a way, we, we're not really giving knowledge management the power that it could exert. You, you've talked about Zika. You've also talked about um, terrorism. You know, what's the system in place? For me, I would like to rebound to what Giovanni said, because um, it's very interesting. I give a lot of speeches and I meet a lot of customers. I probably met about 100 customers in the last two years. And it's very interesting that they expect uh, a Microsoft person to talk about technology. And very much like what Giovanni said, it's those four components. I start with the culture. And I want to give you some example of this and how, I mean, we have transformed the culture. So um, on the culture side, uh, you need to encourage people to share knowledge, right? And reuse knowledge. But you and I and everybody has been taught at school, do not copy. Copy is bad, right? Okay, but now we said, no, copy. Copy is good. So we've been programmed with copy is bad and knowledge is power if I don't share it. So how do you overcome this with a culture? And three years ago, Microsoft rethought their performance and development management system. And now we're rewarding people financially with three things. One is, did you meet your goal? If you're a salesperson, did you meet your quota? If you're a programmer, did you deliver on time, on quality, your code? But then you have to do two things. Show me that you have reused knowledge of others to create a bigger impact. Show me. And show me that you have shared your knowledge to help other people create a bigger impact. 
And we have a performance management and development system that we run every three, four months when we sat with our, our employees and we ask a minimum of two examples per employee that they are doing this. So like working ready to talk. And so now we're embedding our value of our company culture into the desired behavior that we want from the people. The second thing he talks about the content. And uh, we have a vision for KM that says is to provide every employee of Microsoft with instant relevant knowledge in context. Content is extremely important, but the trusting the content is important. So you need to have a categorization of knowledge that allows you to basically trust the content that people are going to reuse because reusing is so important. So you need to define processes and embed those processes in the work process of people where the content is there. And I think an interesting thing that is happening right now is the, as we talk about digital workplace, is the fact that there's a shift between people having to search for knowledge and now knowledge is finding the people. And that has been our crusade for the last uh, three years. We have embarked into a project like that. So we said, okay, we live in the digital workplace. What does it mean? I mean, I know who you are. I know what you do, right? Because you are digitally logged into a system. Uh, so you're doing a project. Why don't I push the knowledge in the context of your work that you need to do your work? So to take an example, when we do project at Microsoft Services, which is what we do with customer, everything is a project. The customer might be a banking customer. It might do a new uh, CRM project and so on. We can push the knowledge that the, that team can reuse in context. And we also have done something where we can scan all the project in flight or past project that are using the same technology and show the presence of the team and allow the people to, you know, contact those people and say, hey, I'm doing this new, uh, you know, artificial intelligence project there. I, you know, I know about it, but I never really work on that code. Can you help me since you've done that? So connecting people with people. That's a reality today. And that's, for me, the big shift is to move from a, from a push, from a pull approach to a push approach, from a search the further your knowledge, which people are spending far too much time into get put the knowledge in context of the per person so that they can do more. Yeah, and that's that's so interesting. I mean, and and, and the phrase there, Giovanni, that that stays with me is is the I is this concept that knowledge finds people. And uh, I mean, when you look across the organisations that you've um, been with in, uh, in knowledge management and, and global roles at EY, Johnson and Johnson, and now at KPMG. Um, isn't is knowledge finding people? Is that is that or is that something that we're you you, you feel we're still aspiring to? Well, um, I will conjugate my answer to the answer that Jean Claude just gave you to your previous question. And let me chime in by saying that I agree very, very, very strongly with the, with the scenario that Jean-Claude depicted. Uh, we, need, we, used to, we used to retrieve knowledge in an atomic way. Like you run a search and you get a list of documents. And each document uh, has something in it that you may or may not reuse. But each document is part of a sequence and it doesn't give you the sense of the context the document was created in. 
So we need to transition for this atomic, uh, uh, atomic uh, um, retrieval of one, one thing at a time into what I call the molecular retrieval of sets of knowledge that deliver context. And Jean-Claude's example was perfect. If I'm running a project that has these characteristics, can I see the molecular knowledge? So all the sets of knowledge that similar projects have created in the past. And uh, that is uh, really a quantum leap in the effectiveness of knowledge management. In my industry, this translates into putting away, at the end of an engagement, uh, the, the entire environment, the, the, the digital environment where the engagement was conducted, so basically create a situation where the, the, the working team gets together digitally and electronically in a, in a workspace. They create their documents, they put them away, and at the end of the engagement, this engagement uh, um, environment is closed and retired and mm. presented to future users in its contextual complexity. When we do this, then, yeah, we can say that knowledge finds uh, the end users and, and the end users can find knowledge as well in the, in the, uh, the granularity level that they, uh, that, they, that they require. I am a bit conservative when it comes to the ideal scenario where uh, a, a mythical knowledge management system will find you uh, by just looking at what you're doing. I'm uh, on, you know, when the debate comes to, to, to this arena, I'm, I'm kind of, conservative. And I say that, well, there has to be some indication, some stimulus, some request that starts from the, from the human being who needs to acquire some knowledge. Otherwise, uh, a, a pure push, as contextualized as it can be, uh, may, may be oh. perceived in some circumstances as noise. But, uh, but this doesn't take anything away from uh, uh, my strong agreement uh, with the fact that molecular knowledge as opposed to atomic knowledge is the future and retrieval of contexts in addition, of knowledge, in addition to knowledge objects is, is a differentiator and is mm. going to be a differentiator. And, and what, what you're saying sort of reminds me of what the oil and gas industry used to do and, and uh, organizations like BP and Shell were always very active in their post-project reviews and they went through, you know, real systematic analysis and understanding. That then makes me think of, you know, NASA, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the, the detailed analysis of everything and the, and the extracting of knowledge. And it makes me wonder, I think of the oil and gas industries having led in that going back a while. Are there particular industries, do, do you feel, either of you, that are pioneering, creating better uh, practices in, in knowledge management today? Well, I would like just to give a, an example. You mentioned NASA, uh, and um, my friend Ed Hoffman, who was the CKO of NASA, told me a story that was a very sad story about Columbia. And they did uh, collect the knowledge, and they put the knowledge, but uh, the knowledge did not find the people that needed it. So the fact that some engineer knows about the weakness of those O-ring, uh, the people who built the rocket didn't know about it because the knowledge did not find the people, and it cost lives of, of people. So I think this is why I think what I, I want to come back to what Giovanni and I are saying is that you, you, there is... 
you can programmatically push the knowledge in context when you very well know the context. When having a system that uh, read everything you do and push things, it would be noise. I totally agree with that. But uh, I think that it's very important to understand that uh, you can't just rely on, uh, on saving the knowledge and putting it into a repository. It doesn't work anymore. So, so just getting back to the topic, we, which um, the pro- slightly provocative title of how knowledge management can save the world. So if you took the shackles off knowledge management, uh, what do you think it really could do to, to help the world that we live in today? And you've mentioned, you know, with the viruses and I'm just, it's like, what, what, what's the potential for, for knowledge management to help with some of the kind of real challenges that we face? Well, actually, rather than taking the shackles away from knowledge management, I would put knowledge management on a tether for it to be more effective because mm-hmm. knowledge management ceases to be effective when it, when it is sold as the universal answer to the universal question. When mm-hmm. it is a discipline applied with rigor and surgical precision to a business problem, and when, I, and when I say business problem, I'm not talking about the problem of the enterprise. I'm talking a, a real-life case, uh, the Zika and Ebola examples that Jean-Claude made at the beginning of the, of the conversation are, are, are as good as anything else that happens uh, in the enterprise and more relevant for mankind. So mm. if we tether knowledge management and the application of process, content, people, and technology to well-identified business issues – That is where knowledge management can save the world, by uh, helping people connect with other people and and create the basis for the synergy that human brains can uh, achieve instantaneously when put in direct contact with each other Mm. and connect people with content in whatever way works. Uh, I tend to agree with Jean-Claude was, uh, you know, putting stuffing, uh, stuffing PowerPoints in a repository and, and hoping that a search engine will find them is very passé as a paradigm. Mm. We have better paradigms. But there isn't one way of connecting people and content. We need to find what is the best one for each, uh, uh, for each business scenario. Uh, a mm. business scenario of connecting people who live in uh, clean and cool offices with uh, a, a wealth of electronics, uh, connecting these kind of people to content is different from connecting field doctors who act uh, in isolated uh, parts of the world where technology is not so uh, frequently uh, and easily accessible with the content that they need to uh, work on epidemics. Well, that's a different business case that requires different uh, connection between people and content. So my, my answer, my long answer can be summarized in, in a short uh, in, in a short slogan, don't let knowledge run amok, tether it to the reality of the business issue that you're trying to solve. And um, Jean-Claude, do you, do you see it similarly? Yeah, yeah. in fact, uh, I always, uh, when people ask me advice, I said, uh, one thing that KM people should not do is talk KM to, to their users. Um, they should talk about their business problem and 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 help them to solve the problem. Uh, Giovanni used the word chirurgically. I, I say yes. I think w- there are a couple of things that needs to happen. Number one is that we need more education at all levels. And I think uh, we need education at uh, school, primary school, uh, colleges, and management school. I mean, there's v- so very few 
knowledge management courses available. Uh, I mean, I've been fortunate to have been invited to uh, to teach a class at Columbia University who has a, a master's in science in uh, information and knowledge strategy. And I really applaud Columbia for being a pioneer on KM uh, senior education. So I would like to see the IMD of this world or the INSEAD of this world doing similar things for uh, for senior people and executive because today... When you hire a manager, you expect a manager to know about finance. I mean, accounting, PL, right? Marketing, uh, a basic of HR. Why don't you expect a manager to know about some of the principle of sharing and reusing knowledge, right? Or the importance of it. I think this is something we need to change is education because, um, once people will understand the basics of it, then we will see, you know, much more natural uh, um, dissemination of those practices uh, there, because I think it's it's extremely important that we uh, we move uh, into this world where we can uh, help each other to solve complex problem. The the reality in front of us right now is that if we look at the the you know the world where we are in right now, it's very gloomy, you know. You know, I was traveling last week and I was uh, just uh, less than a, a, a kilometer away from uh, from a terrorist attack. And uh, so how are we going to harness this? I mean, it's a really complex problem. We need to we really need to uh, team up and uh, and change our paradigm and be open up and be humble. It starts with us. It starts with I have to be humble enough to ask myself whenever I start something, is there someone? that has done it before in my company or in my community that I can learn from. So be a little bit humble about this. And that's, that's what the growth mindset is important. And for all the, the young generation that is coming to graduate of college, they will change job 20 times in their lifetime. So having a growth mindset, being able to learn, being willing to say, I'm, I don't know everything, you know, uh, I can first look at, is there somebody that knows that I can learn from? And when you're thinking, I mean, and that was my, um, you know, one of my final questions to each of you. So if, if there's a, an enthusiastic, energized 21 year old listening to this thinking, my God, I didn't know that this field could be as exciting as this. What, what's your what's your kind of key piece of advice to them going into it? Maybe maybe you could start with that, Giovanni. Piece of advice uh, to twenty one years old, uh, just coming out of knowledge of college. Would they listen? <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's, uh, ass- let, let's assume you've got their attention now. I okay, think listening to this, you've probably got their attention. Okay, that, that's great. That, that would be a, an awesome professional accomplishment for me. But uh, I would say like everything else, like everything else, uh, study it, study it. Don't try to wing it because knowledge management is a discipline. Get good and, uh, and, and try to like it. Mm. Uh, don't, don't do it if they tell you that you have to do it and you don't really like it. But if you like it, do it and do it well. Mm-hmm. And now you okay. know why no college graduate would ever listen to advice. No, no, no. And and, and Jean Claude, what would what would your advice be? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I was thinking of my kids also, so I totally agree with Giovanni. So I have a I'm a storytelling kind of guy. Instead of giving them advice, I would find a way to tell them a story uh, that would uh, would resonate in their mind, something that is close to them, 
probably just uh, having understanding one of their challenge and show them how it would benefit them. And very often, uh, I, so I'm writing a book right now, and one of my book chapters is about personal knowledge management. So think about how you could be more efficient as an individual if you would have a few techniques to capture, classify your own knowledge and retrieve your own knowledge that you've learned. Just think about that. And how many people are just don't think about that it could be applied to themselves. And every time I have a discussion with, uh, with young people like that, it really resonates because they are the new generation that grew up with social media. So they have, they completely have no fear of tool, right? So for them, using a mobile phone, going to Facebook, sharing, etc. But the relevancy of knowledge, when you start to dip down into it, says, well, you had a particular problem. Did, how did you find this, right? And then work with them through that scenario, that will resonate with them. And then they will understand, oh, there is actually some kind of a, of a science, or maybe science in a big word, but there's something of a, you know, a, a technique that uh, I could apply to this that could help me. Yeah, I mean, and just listening to what you're both saying, I think my advice um, would be there's, there's so much... There's so many issues and challenges, both in organizations and socially, that we face where we already have the answers. And it's just that the connections are not happening. And if you want to make a, an impact on an organization, if you want to make an impact on the world around us, and we know that, that younger people do, um, this is a field you can get hold of. And I, sh I think, you know, the advice would be the technology can accelerate it, um, not, not dominate it. And, and this is where you can make a difference. So um, I, I just, um, you know, we could carry on, but the, uh, um, we're, we're, we're coming up to time. And um, um, thank you both so much for this, this fascinating conversation. I mean, it's, it's terrific to in a way be able to draw on the experience and the the depth of thinking and and the kind of practicality that i think everybody listening would agree that you've both brought and bring to the the organizations you work with and and the fields around you so um thank you so much for for being on the podcast giovanni and and also uh, thank you so much jean-claude thanks for having me thanks for having us really nice paul Digital Workplace Impact is produced by the Digital Workplace Group, a strategic partner and boutique consultancy supporting more than 100 leading businesses and public institutions to advance their intranets and broader digital workplaces through benchmarking, research and practitioner expertise. If you want more information, go to digitalworkplacegroup.com. And you are invited and welcome to listen to previous episodes of the show by going to digitalworkplacegroup.com forward slash DWG underscore podcast. If you want to listen to a spooky episode, then you can listen to the one recently with Brian Solis. And if you fancy something a little bit lighter and perhaps a little bit more uplifting, then do find out about why passionate people are behind some of the best digital workplace stories 
featuring the very wonderful Linda Tinnett from IKEA. This is Paul Miller wishing you well until next time. <laughs>